This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 391 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 2-1 win in Istanbul against Besiktas and we will preview Sunday's game against Union Berlin. For all that and more joins me the one and only Matthias Zug. Matthias, welcome to the show. It's good to have you back on. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, sorry for a bit of an absence, but it's kind of an insane work time right now for me until the end of October, but uh it is good to be back, especially on the back of two Dortmund victories now. Three. Um, three. Yeah, I'm just thinking in, in the manner of the last week. Um, right. So, no, it's overall not too many things to complain about, but I'm sure we'll find something. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, people who will see the episode title will know that there will be something to uh, be complained about. Yes, this is one of the few times where I actually know what the episode title will be. Uh, before the show, just because uh, I, uh, you know, preemptively thought of a good pun. Um, but uh, more importantly, Matthias, uh, I am intrigued. What did happen? Uh, what did the contractors uh, exactly fix at your house uh, last time that you couldn't make it and uh, you said they, they finally arrived? Was it your window thing or what was it? I don't know. The windows have been done. The windows got done in May. The stucco on the house got done in April. And we were waiting for uh, new rain gutters since April. And they decided to just show up that morning. And so it was putting on new rain gutters and soffits and fascia. And so it was just a full day of drilling and hammering, and which is great when you're trying to get a baby to sleep, too. So <laughs> that was, I mean, I'm glad they showed up and finally did the work they were supposed to have done five months ago. Um, and I understand things are difficult, but contractors are notoriously difficult at times. And so it was just, it was a, a heads up would have been nice. Let's put it that way. Here you are now, and uh, you have the stage, if you will, uh, to talk about Borussia Dortmund's first Champions League group stage match against Besiktas, which was a little, a, a tiny bit nervous at the end, especially more nervous at the beginning, but uh, between... I, let's say the first five minutes and the last five minutes, I think Dortmund had a, a pretty decent Champions League performance. Um, obviously, starting lineup-wise, uh, we had Mats Hummels back in the starting lineup next to Kanji. Uh, Munier played, Guerrero played, then we had uh, Brandt uh, and uh, Bellingham on the number eight, and Dahoud as a number six again. So that changed uh, instead of Witzel starting, and then, of course, uh, Reus. Marlin and uh, Haaland sort of forming the, the top trio, if you will. Um, Matthias, what are you making of this win, of these three points that uh, are obviously, you know, quite important because we have a very competitive group stage? Yeah, I mean, um, it's a group stage, I said. I remember when it was drawn and I went, okay, it's going to be competitive, but I, I expect Dortmund to progress. 
Now, Besiktas are a decent side. Of course, they dramatically won the Turkish League last season. The The difference maker for them, and this is for me the big nervous factor, is Miralem Pjanic. Because I just think he is one of the best players um, in the last 10 years. I mean, obviously, he was a heartbeat at Juventus. Um, the, the Barcelona weird chapter kind of thing. And then going to, to Besiktas, I was like, okay, this guy, cause his passing range is undeniable. His set piece delivery, obviously proven very, very good. He is an exceptional player with great vision. And so he's the kind of player that I feel like can, can present Dortmund with problems simply because of how extremely good of a passer he is. His vision and his execution as a playmaker to pick teams apart is phenomenal. And with Dortmund's backline, the first time playing together from the beginning, you'd say your standard backline of Meunier, Akanji, Hummels, and uh, Guerrero with Kobel behind, that's the first time they've started a match this season. And uh, quite a few of them are still shaking off the rust. I mean, Munir is shaking off the rust, even though I felt like he had a pretty decent game. Hummels is still shaking off the rust. Uh, Guerrero is still coming back, even though I thought he's done well. Really, the only ones that there's nothing to shake off rust-wise were Akanji and Kobe, who I think were two of the best players uh, so far this season for Dortmund, despite the amount of goals that have been conceded, which I do not put on either Akanji or Kobe. Um, I thought it was a good game. Yeah, the beginning was a little rough. Um, you know, Bacuay had a great opportunity, Kobe with a fantastic save. And then, of course, at the end, conceding from a set piece, and then things got a little little tense there for a little bit. But overall, if you look at the statistics, you would say it's a very tight match. Um, I think Besiktas had slightly more possession. I think it was 52 to 48%. Dortmund and them had very similar shot statistics and stuff like that. But Dortmund had the better opportunities over the course of the entire match. Um, I would make the argument that Dortmund really should have scored four goals. Uh, Holland had a great chance he didn't score. And then Ansgar Knauf had a phenomenal <laughs> opportunity near the end where I still don't quite understand how that wasn't scored. Mukoko had a few good looks. I thought Mukoko looked fantastic. Um, Malin, yeah, he still still needs to score. But I think he's a fantastic player. I love watching him play. Uh, he's he's a true difference maker. I mean, and Bellingham might you know give it another season. May go down as the best English young player Dortmund have ever had, and that's <laughs> saying a lot. Yeah. Well, but if you're looking at the position that Jude Bellingham plays, coupled with his age, I mean, it's absolutely fantastic, and he's only getting better. Only getting better. I mean, from Sancho was always. Uh, an attacking, creative, dribbling winger. You expect that from him. You don't really expect that from a traditional box-to-box player like Bellingham. And he's been lights out fantastic. Uh, absolutely fantastic. And it was also great to see Brandt after a an interesting performance against Leverkusen. Uh, you know, I think we can call it Licht und Schatten. <laughs> you know, he had some great moments and some yeah, not so great moments. I thought overall he was relatively solid. Uh, even though there was the one counterattack that they really should have finished with a goal um, in the first half. I think it was after the 1-0. I can't remember the exact timeline, but it was a great, basically, three-on-two situation with Royce, Brandt, and Holland, and they just couldn't quite pull the trigger in the end. Um, but it was a good performance from Dortmund against a difficult side 
playing against a Turkish team in Turkey is always difficult because their home field advantage is amazing because they have absolutely amazing crowds in the stadium. And so this was a big, great way for Dortmund to start the Champions League group stage and puts them forward in the driver's seat for sure in this group, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I've uh, learned that uh, because the uh, stadium uh, ground is a couple of meters uh, below sea level, uh, that apparently affects uh, the quality of the field, and uh, it's sort of called the, the sand pad or something like that. Uh, yeah, the pitch was absolutely atrocious, but uh, on every uh, point you've just made, you were, I think, absolutely correct. Uh, this game was uh, really interesting to watch, and uh, I mean, the the first situation, I think, because you, you start with Pjanic, I thought it was uh, chronologically quite correct, because he had this amazing pass to Bacuay, who then uh, managed to round Hummels, and the uh, the reflex save from Kobel is absolutely fantastic. Um, Besiktas only had three shots on goal, and uh, uh, the, the first one was, I think, in the sixth minute, and then... Uh, Kobel had another save, which was uh, really well done, uh, where Bajwai had a one-on-one situation against him in the, I think, 67th minute or so, uh, where he closed down the angle nicely. And uh, I for sure thought it was going to be a goal, knowing uh, the quality of Bajwai. And so, yeah, I'm I'm just super happy with uh, how Kobel is playing right now and the the command he has and the way he's pushing himself after he makes this spectacular save. Um, yeah, I've raved a lot about him in, in the past, but I like that, you know, uh, so far he hasn't made a single mistake, uh, not that I can recall, and, uh, you know, the, the presence he is having is, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite spectacular and uh, obviously... That's to the detriment of Roman Burki, who wasn't even in the squad. He didn't even make the trip to Istanbul because uh, Dortmund are sending the clear signal that he is sort of uh, um, out of the loop right now. Um, but yeah, very happy happy with Kobe. Uh, I really do hope that uh, he is uh, a stronghold for Dortmund for years to come. Uh, I hope that uh, he is... Uh, willing to be a long-term thing and not, uh, you know, rising or rising above the level of Dortmund and uh, searching for greener pastures elsewhere at any point. Uh, Really hoping that he will be, you know, there for five, six, seven years or so uh, if he continues playing like that. Uh, I'm I'm really uh, happy that uh, he is in Dortmund. I think he already has made a a massive difference, uh, even though they have conceded a boatload of goals. Um, Yeah. You know, we, we obviously can talk about the sad piece <laughs> at the end. I don't think Kobel can do much about this. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think this game has so many talking points. Um, the the first one, obviously, to me, is the Kobel thing because he made this big save. But uh, Meunier is, is another talking point. Matthias, um, I, I think uh, his work rate uh, is really impressive right now. Uh Marco Rose today talked about uh, him finding his feet and that uh, he sort of, uh, you know, in, in the talks they had, shared that he just wants to forget about the previous season and, uh, you know, saying that he, he's capable of better things. And we all sure hope so. Uh, you know, his crossing right now is quite tremendous. Another assist for him. Uh, second in a row. But uh, yeah, he's more involved in Dortmund's attacks and uh, his defensive positioning has uh, improved quite quickly. 
I would say if you think about the performance, especially the first 20, 30 minutes uh, against Hoffenheim versus uh, how he played against Besiktas, uh, that's also night and day. So, um, you know, a player that got a little shtick, uh, if he's uh, improving and can become a more viable option, uh, that's obviously something we're all hoping for, especially since uh, the uh, alternatives are not really that great at the moment. So, you know, it's sort of a, a must-do thing for Meunier, but that doesn't necessarily mean uh, he's going to deliver. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what can what, what can we say about Jude Bellingham, Matthias? I mean, he has scored yet again, you know, something that's sort of a, a new element, I would say. <laughs> Had he started a little sooner against Freiburg, say, uh, Dortmund might have even uh, more points uh, on their account right now in the Bundesliga. But uh, be it as it is, um, it's quite tremendous how he is arriving and sort of playing himself into the hearts of every Dortmund fan just with the the attitude he's bringing to the game. And, um, you know, Rosa, I think, was asked today what his development uh, has to do with Marco Rosa. And I think he was very humble in saying that his predecessors have more to do with that than he does because uh, Rosa hasn't been around for that long. Uh, but that being said, Matthias, I actually do think that there is a, a little bit uh, that has to do with Rosa's introduction. That's the uh, the diamond midfield, and I think that uh, the number eight position absolutely suits Bellingham uh, tremendously, and the way he interprets is probably exactly how a coach would wish for. What are your thoughts on uh, this Bell Bellingham development, let's say, because... Uh, since the summer uh, and, you know, his stint with the English national team and uh, uh, at the Euros and whatnot, I, I feel like we've, we can even almost talk about having having an, an additional signing because the improvement is just so stark. Yeah, I mean, one of the areas that um, a lot of commentators out of England will point to is that Bellingham has often alluded to the fact that he wants to improve his goal scoring and his finishing. Uh, which if we think back to last season, he got into the positions quite regularly, but then the finishing was lax at times. Um, and it, I'm not going to say he's, he's, you know, completely taking care of that because he's so young. He's a teenager. There's still so much left from him. Um, but you can definitely tell the confidence that he has. And we're not talking arrogant confidence. We're talking like leadership quality confidence in this kid is truly phenomenal. And you couple that with someone, you know, he has a, a massive drive and a great work ethic, which are things that he also shares with, say, Erling Haaland, who's also young. I mean, think about it. He's 21 years old with 21 Champions League goals. That's crazy. But he also has an extreme drive to succeed, an extreme drive to win, and a phenomenal work ethic. If you have that as a young player, because we've seen young players at Dortmund who lacked those things, um, who had phen phenomenal talent but just lacked the drive and the work ethic and then it just didn't quite work out, ignoring any injuries or anything like that. Just those fundamental things that Bellingham has is really great to see. I mean, he's such a joy to watch. And for once, I mean, I always kind of chuckle when there are English commentators or American commentators and you have a Arena out there or Bellingham out there, you know, they, they tend to overly promote and gush about those players because of who the audience is, you know, ESPN or whatever. But in the case of Bellingham, it's completely warranted. It's not over the top homerism in that sense. Like sometimes I think with Reina, it kind of feels that way. 
but with um with Jude Bellingham, he's he's one of the best central midfield players in the Bundesliga. And he's a teenage kid. And there's still so much more to come from. I just hope, hope, I hope, I hope Dortmund can keep him for at least two more seasons. I think that would benefit him. He will eventually go to a Manchester, a Chelsea. I mean, you name it, one of the big English clubs. It makes complete sense that he goes back to England. Totally understand and support that. But just give us two more seasons. And what people like uh, Holland, Sancho, Reyna, Pulisic before that, and now Bellingham are showing that extremely talented young players in their late teens, maybe early 20s, that are already fantastic professionals. They can see they can come to Dortmund in an environment challenged at the highest levels in the Bundesliga and in the Champions League and develop and become true great players. And he is uh, blowing me away because Jaden Sancho at the same time in his development was not where he is. That's why I kind of made the flippant comment about he could be the best young English player Dortmund have ever had. And I, I stick to that. I really think that. I think Reyna will be the best American young player Dolman have ever had. But Jude Bellingham blows Reyna out of the water. And I, it's it's fantastic because it's such a difficult position. The number eight in that diamond, there's so much asked of you going forward and back. And there's so much that's you're isolated a few times. And he just does it fantastically. Yeah. And now that he is getting the goals, I, I mean, the the goal scoring is obviously one thing, but uh, I also really witnessed or noticed how much better his uh, 1v1 skills are. I mean, I've said before that uh, not bringing in another 1v1 player uh, like, like Sancho, um, you know, could hurt Dortmund, but I feel like Dortmund have somewhat replaced it by just Bellingham stepping up a little. You know, the, the amount of headcons he is winning now and uh, how intelligently he picks them uh, is uh, quite fantastic and uh, almost blindsided me because I really did not see it coming. Uh, that being said, I, I think uh, <laughs> Daniel Marlin did smoke a couple of Besiktas uh, players as well where, uh, you know, with one little fake, I think he gained like uh, five, six, seven yards or so, uh, which was great to see. I think uh, today this was actually uh, Marlin's best game. Um, Rosa said today that... Um, he needs to drastically improve uh, his game against the ball. Um, but that being said, uh, I I do see a workhorse on the, on the field. I do see a player that uh, battles for every ball. And I do see a player that knows how to uh, use his own physique to guard the ball, to shield it from opponents. And uh, there were a couple of situations where uh, he was up against two or three players and still uh, prevailed. And... Uh, while he, I don't think, hasn't scored or assisted yet. Uh, <laughs> I almost don't care because he's uh, excelling in, in so many other things right now, which uh, are sort of the fundamentals, and you just know the rest will come eventually because the talent is uh, truly there. And uh, if it's so that uh, he scores a little more sporadically than we all hope for, say, like Torgen Hazard, but excels in so many other things, and uh, I'm also okay with it, to be honest, because... Uh, uh, if he's more of a support or a role player uh, and, and maybe not the one uh, that, that always has a finishing touch, then so be it. But uh, if he manages to improve the entire team with his presence, uh, no matter what his individual output is, then uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, happy about that. But I have a hunch that, um, you know, give it a couple more weeks, 
um, that uh, yeah, the world will look a little different. And uh, I'm sort of also rooting for him to actually score his first goal for Dortmund uh, at home. So uh, maybe Sunday would be a good opportunity, to be honest. Um, yeah, uh, re really happy about that. But uh, Matthias, uh, I'm afraid I have a tiny little rant in me. And uh, I'll put out a disclaimer first because it's not going to be a rational rant. It's not going to be based on reason and logic. So whatever I'm about to say now is wrong, uh, obviously. But uh, that's how I feel. And uh, I'm just so annoyed by the fact that Julian Brandt is injured now. Um, because I think he is out for a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, something like that. And, uh, he has played 20 minutes against Freiburg. Then he played 26 minutes against Hoffenheim. Then he had his first full 90 against Leverkusen and now 45 minutes against Besiktas. And he's already injured again. Now, obviously, uh, he did have COVID, but, uh, he, you know, this was Julian Brandt's chance because of uh, Gio Reyna being uh, out for several weeks, almost about a month. This was his big chance to break through the team and, uh, you know, change his career. And he had a full preseason, no international football in between, all the rest. And after not even uh, two full games, uh, he's injured. And to me, that's just super disappointing. That's super agonizing uh, obviously uh, I, I can't say whether or not his professionalism wasn't uh, up to par and it could have been prevented or not but uh, to me that's just super frustrating and um, you know Julian this was your chance and I feel like you kind of ruined it so uh, yeah that's that's all I'm gonna say because it's it's just so agonizing I don't know how you feel about it Matthias but uh, we haven't even gotten a full good game out of Julian Brandt this season just because uh, he was so night and day against Leverkusen when he finally had his first 90 minutes. And uh, the 45 he did play against Besiktas were good, but, uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm still waiting for, like, a proper 90-minute uh, good performance from Julian Brandt, and I was hoping he was sort of working him his way to it, and uh, we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's frustrating because we know how good he can be. It's the consistency is an issue, and I and it at the end of the day, I know you know it's not it's not very modern to talk about mentality with athletes. You know, uh, we should be beyond that theoretically, but I I fundamentally disagree with that argument. I think uh, athletic performances, like any of these type of performances, are are extraordinarily mental. And the question with Julian Brandt is, does he have the mental fortitude to do it? He, he wants it. I don't, I don't think there's any denying that he wants to perform well on a consistent level. But is he actually capable of doing that without Kai Havertz? You know, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, his best season was that last season with him and Kai Havertz together. And whereas Kai Havertz, I feel like, has gained, regained his feet uh, post Brandt, uh, Julian Brandt has not, and and a lot of hopes were pinned upon him, and he just has fallen. I don't want to say he's fallen flat because he's had some great games, he's had some great moments, but he's fallen below expectations. And I don't know when it comes to injury prevention in terms of how much that is on him 
you know, when it comes to certain things that players can do, whether it's nutrition, workout routines, all that kind of stuff that can help prevent injuries. And sometimes you're just unlucky. I mean, there are players, you think of someone like Sebastian Deisla, who just couldn't catch a break in his career and was just constantly injured. Uh, I mean, Michael Royce had this huge stretch in his career where it seemed like every season he had some season-ending major injury. And I nobody can doubt his work ethic and commitment. So it, it's frustrating. I feel like it's also frustrating for him to have this happen, uh, especially because Dortmund have a lot of talent in in his section in the areas where he can play. And well, if not somebody, right now. If, <laughs> okay, not right now, but in but in general. But depends on how injuries move, right? You know, I mean, if his takes two, three weeks and somebody else comes back in that time, he'll be back down in the pecking order to try and come back in. And that's that's difficult when someone's in the flow. I mean, there's always that saying, never change a winning team. And if you have a streaky player, how much do you trust him? Now, obviously, Michael Rosa has, has enough trust in him to have started him in Leverkusen, started him against Besiktas. Yes, I understand. Players are out injured, so you're kind of limited with your options. But the question is, will that trust come back? And will it stay there once he has options? And right now, I would say probably not. And and that's that's really frustrating for the talent that Julian Brandt is. He really needs to change things. Otherwise, this will be his last season at Dortmund. And he will probably, maybe he'll go back to Leverkusen or he'll play for kind of a middle pack Bundesliga side, which I think his talent is greater than that, but a talent is only so much. Uh, there there needs to be so much more that, that kind of combines with the talent. You know, I would have loved to see Julian Brandt play about, you know, 70 to 90 minutes each game against Union Berlin and against Gladbach, then against Sporting and then against Augsburg. I think these are the games that Dortmund will play before the next international break. And uh, I think if if you sort of add this together, you would uh, have like, uh, I, I guess, about six games. And, uh, you know, with him being consistently in the starting 11 for six games after having uh, what was called a very good preseason, um, I'm sure we would have seen an entirely different Julian Brandt than... Uh, what we have now. Um, maybe there's still a chance for him to feature against uh, Sporting and against Augsburg and then against Mainz, maybe after the international break, but I'm not entirely sure uh, it's going to be the same thing just because also I think he will be, have to be nursed back yet again. You know, I don't think uh, if if he, say, is fit against Sporting uh, on the 28th of September that uh, you would then play him for another 90 minutes. It's just a whole different uh, scenario now. And uh, I'm really miffed about it. I'll be honest, because I really want Julian Brandt to succeed at Dortmund. And uh, there was really a golden opportunity. It was sort of like the stars aligned for him. And, um, you know, he he started with this uh, goal against Leverkusen, if you will. And uh, now, you know, this, this injury is just super vexing. You know, I don't know if it's his fault or not. So... It's just annoying. So um, let's let's just leave it at that. <laughs> um, what what also is annoying, Matthias, is uh, the third kit or the cup kit or whatever it's called, and the entire fiasco that has uh, been produced by Borussia Dortmund. I mean, when Puma introduced their uh, cup kits, 
in general, Dortmund uh, did not feature because theirs had leaked previously. Uh, it was the same kit, uh, other than that it did not say BVB09, but it said uh, Dortmund in the middle and there was no badge. Apparently, Dortmund did change that and added the badge, uh, which I didn't really see until I saw some close-ups. Um, but, I, I mean, the the shitstorm, if you will, was kind of warranted. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Be before I even continue, what, what are you making of this entire debacle? Well, you know, I care very deeply about kits. It's, <laughs> it's the, one of the big, big talking points for me preseason. Uh, no, I actually don't really give a shit about kits. But in general, so I like the idea of like the neon back because I still have a lot of kits out of the 90s with that traditional neon of the 90s. But um, being so busy, this the entire kind of shitstorm passed me by until I watched the game and I went, what the hell are they wearing? <laughs> and it, it just it just irritated my eye. I'm like, okay, BVB09 on there. That's weird. Okay. Uh, I'm digging the font, but other than that, it's just weird. And I'm like, okay, there's no there's no club badge. And then I, I think it was somebody's um, uh, substitution. I'm like, okay, I guess, okay, there is a badge. I can kind of see it. Like it's 3D, but, but you can't really see the damn thing. And, you know, whether you like the neon concept or not, I mean, honestly... I think the kit would have been fine if they would have not done the BVB 09 or the Dortmund and just had the club badge in black on there and you would have seen it clearly. I think I think then it's a perfectly decent neon kit. And yeah, kinda, yeah. why aren't you not at Puma at earning millions for kit designs? Because that's a no-brainer. You just said it. You just had the solution to this problem. Why can it be fixed? Well, Stefan, if there's one thing I've noticed in my centuries of life on this planet is that sometimes the simplest solutions to not very complex problems are very often ignored. And <laughs> the same can be said here, too. I mean, that's it's not rockets. It's literally not rocket science. It's designing a freaking football kit um, that that somehow nobody went Hey guys, um, about that, or maybe somebody did and they got shouted down. I don't know how these, I'm not in those meetings, but the decision makers who signed off on this, I mean, come on, man, you got to do better. Again, I don't really give a shit about kits. I just not something I care about. I haven't bought a kit is since Dortmund's first championship season or second championship season under Klopp. I can't remember whichever one they got the additional star. That's the last time I bought a kit because I just don't care enough. Um, but this is just, it's irritating. It's really, really irritating. It's like somebody overthought a situation to try to be overly, I don't even know what. I was going to say modern, but I don't know if that's even modern. It's just weird. It's like we're going to be so minimalist, nobody even knows who the fuck we are. That's that's just stupid. And so, yeah, just change it for the next game. Anybody who bought it, refund them the money or offer them the, a free new kit and just move on to Julian Brandt playing better when he gets back because <laughs> I care about that a little more. But yeah, this kit, it's, yeah. I mean, in general, the design's great, but that's kind of an important element that can be easily fixed. So just do it. 
Okay, you got money. I mean, the problem is, <laughs> and let's take a look at uh, the Champions League shirt that I own. Um, I think it's from the 2014-15 season, uh, or some sometime around that. But it, it was after uh, Dortmund won uh, the um, the second championship or something like that. Uh, it was a long story short. Uh, the the second star on the kid is not where it's supposed to be, or the both the two stars are not supposed to are not there where they're supposed to be because. Uh, it was sort of produced with uh, one star, which was right above uh, the badge, and then they just added another one. <laughs> so it looks a little odd. It's uh, uh, not symmetrically shaped, uh, just because apparently, um, you know, the pre-production for kits might be a bit long, and uh, you know, it's it's hard to change things on the fly. Then, be that as it may, I still think Dortmund should have just scrapped this whole thing. Um, when this shirt leaked, they sort of said that they uh, seen the criticism. I mean, um, Carsten Kramer, the uh, chief of marketing at Dortmund, was in the Kicker Meets the Zone podcast. And he said, uh, and that was before the game, we have not presented an international jersey together with Puma. Remember when Puma had this presentation of all their other European side Champions League kits, uh, Dortmund was absent. Uh, because uh, Kama said it was stupidly leaked incorrectly, but the leak was so bad that it caused so much criticism, which was then justified in the matter. So, of course, we not only took the criticism to heart, but considered how to correct the issue. Um, so, obviously, um, Dortmund fans yesterday, by and large, not very happy. Um, there was even a banner opposite of uh, the uh, headquarters uh, by the B1 uh, at the Rheinland Dam, where it sort of said that they're, uh, you know, are the fans are at their wits' end. They're, you know, running out of patience with this. And uh, today, Puma CEO Bjorn Golden he apologized. Uh, he is quoted, and uh, I have the translation here via Stefan Biankowski. He he said, "We regret the anger of the fans and would like to apologize to them. We really took the feedback to heart and will take into account for future jerseys, just like in the past." So uh, Biankowski adds that obviously Puma should be acutely aware of the concerns from Dortmund fans because A, they're a German company and uh, their CEO is not only a former Bundesliga player, but also uh, Puma are a 5% stakeholder of the club. So they, they might be even more intertwined with Dortmund than they are with other teams. So um, yeah, it's been... A bit of a shit show and uh, I can totally understand the frustrations of fans and uh, while I also agree with the notion that it's only a kit and uh, there are more important things uh, than sport in general and especially a third cup kit I, I, I think it's totally okay to be a bit frustrated with that and uh, thirdly I just think the kit is ugly uh, I think it if you go for more minimalist style then the whole thing at the front needs to go I think there should have just been a, bat, uh, a black badge, just like you said, and not uh, something you can't even see. And I think the major point of criticism has been that uh, the commercialization of football uh, sort of taking away the identity of clubs and uh, removing the badge sort of uh, to many fans is uh, sort of trying to, you know, peel away more of the club's identity uh, ever so slightly. And uh, it's just a big thorn. So um, that all being said... I think the changes the club did make are insufficient after sort of promising uh, on Twitter and uh, 
via other outlets uh, that they would uh, understand the criticism because clearly they haven't quite uh, done that. And uh, yeah, uh, so it's just another loss for the Dortmund PR department, uh, which I think needs to do a little better. Um, and uh, their cooperation with Puma needs to improve a little because I think overall Dortmund haven't been blessed with the most beautiful kit designs. And uh, I, I think that uh, other kit designers, say Nike or so, could do a much better job than Puma are currently doing. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's all subjective. And, uh, you know, if this third Champions League kit comes available for like five or ten bucks, I'm, I still might get it just so uh, roadcast can see me when I'm cycling on the road. <laughs> uh, just like as a, as a traffic cone, I would use it. But uh, yeah, uh, long story short, uh, it's been kind of botched by by Dortmund and uh, feels like a needless thing especially since the sporting situation is going quite okay right now I, I really do hope that Dortmund learn from that I mean I have nothing against the Neon uh, in itself I just uh, think it, it could have been done better I mean maybe the, the kids even look good in person because they have all these little Dortmund badges uh, ingrained on them I don't know if you've seen this Matthias No I don't look that closely That's like if if I have to hold it in front of my face to see the intricacies. You've already lost me <laughs> at that point. I mean, I remember years, oh gosh, this decades, 10 years ago, maybe um, Colorado Rapids did a new Jersey where it looked like it was like a, a stripe. It was, it was crimson kind of color, maroon color, and then a darker crimson stripe going across, uh, across it on the front and back. And actually, if you look closely at the stripe, it's the name of every season ticket holder written in there. And I thought that was a really cool touch as an homage to those fans. And then, then I'm okay with it. Uh, but when it's, when it gets that intricate in general, I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. I don't, last point. I, I just, yeah. Last point that really annoys me though is yeah. Okay. So you have these super bright yellow badges on there that nobody really sees and you think you solved the problem, but, but why wasn't that yellow thing on the goalkeeper's jersey? I didn't see it on Gregor Kobe. And uh, if you would add it uh, to another shirt that ha didn't have that uh, non-contrast, then you would think, well, at least we would see it on the other shirt, but it wasn't there. So I don't understand that at all. So please help me out here, Puma, but why couldn't you also just put it on a goalkeeper? Maybe that would have had matters just the tiniest bit. I don't know, but uh, yeah. Yeah, let's you know, just Stephen, I've I've been in product design meetings a lot over my career, and you occasionally get the people that are like, "I'm so smart, I'm so brilliant, and so avant-garde in this design." Hear me out, and and people are like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! This is amazing!" And then it just doesn't come off. But given whatever contract you have, or who's in power where, or who has the final say on creative direction. They just can't let go. Like They're like, no, but everyone disagrees with me, but everyone is wrong. Why can't you see my vision, you plebs? And uh, <laughs> I kind of maybe theorize, I mean, this is total conspiracy theory here, that maybe a similar situation came here. Somebody just had a quote-unquote brilliant idea in design. This is totally avant-garde. No one's ever done this for good reason. Um, and maybe <laughs> we try it. And, well, it didn't come off. So hopefully it'll get changed. But thankfully, we have way more Bundesliga games to watch than Champions League games. So we'll be able to just watch the 
you know, I, I'm, I'm also not a big fan of having sort of one template designed for all of your teams. I, I feel like uh, there should be so, a bit more individualism in your designs for your clubs. Just saying. But, uh, you know, b because it, it just feels even more so that your uh, kit designs are off the rack. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that either. But let's just move on because Dortmund do have a, a Bundesliga game. Uh, on Sunday against Union Berlin, who right now are 8th in the table and uh, are very impressive. Um, they only had their first loss this Thursday uh, at the hands of Slavia Prague in their first ever European uh, competitive... Well, not competitive game, because they did have qualifiers, I guess, for the Conference League. Um, but that was their first uh, group stage game. 3-1 uh, loss against Slavia Prague, as I previously said, uh, which is good because... Uh, that means they also had some travel to do during the week. And uh, even better from a Dortmund perspective, uh, they had a sending off uh, in the 40th minute. So uh, they went uh, down to 10 men for the majority of the game. So I hope there are more tired legs in that Union side than that there are in uh, in Dortmunds. Um, but uh, that being said, uh, they had a quite uh, sort of impressive run. Maybe not the scoreless draw against Augsburg, but they had a 2-1 win against uh, Gladbach. They had a 2 all draw against uh, Hoffenheim and a one all draw against Leverkusen. So in that regard, um, you know, I, I think uh, Dortmund will have a really strong opponent uh, to face on Sunday who really do know what they're doing. I know it was Fischer. Um, Matthias, first question. Uh, I wish I had an Union fan here on to discuss this with us, but uh, sadly they are all still uh, too hungover from their trips from <laughs> to Prague. So you will have to answer this. How the hell did Union manage to stay in the Bundesliga at this point and even play in European football? Something that I personally would have never predicted. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have predicted it at that point either. I think um, they came in with a game plan. They stuck to the game plan. I remember their first Bundesliga match where they got absolutely trashed by Leipzig. And everybody thought, okay, they're just going to go down in flames. And obviously that wasn't the case. They're also helped by the fact that, you know, Schalke, Schalke happened. Um, and there are just teams that are just really, really bad. And they have a game plan that works. They stick to it. They are flexible enough against teams that will try to also low block them. They they understand how to break that down a little bit. Um, and they gain from the advantage that, you know, they're a team that has to be beaten in the sense of if you want to play for the title, if you want to play for Europe, if you want to if you do want to make sure that you don't get relegated, you have to beat a side like Union Berlin. Uh, you don't have to beat Dortmund. You don't have to beat Bayern, you know, in, in people's heads or Leipzig or whoever. But you have to beat Union Berlin. So the opposition will open up at times. And that really helps Union style. Plus the fact that Dortmund are really big on giving them max points every season. That's <laughs> like a very charitable thing from Dortmund to do. And that's why I'm really concerned. It's like, you know, before Hamburg were kind of Dortmund's bogey team for a while. And and Union Berlin are definitely that. Um, thankfully, Son does not play for them. Uh, but it's it's a side that I think will frustrate the ever-living hell out of Dortmund. They will look very closely at what Freiburg did and probably emulate it. Um, the big difference is that Union Berlin are even better at set pieces. And... I don't know if you've noticed this, Stefan, hmm. but Dortmund really suck at set pieces. No, never. 
Uh, yeah, Thanks for, for like, bringing it to my I attention, Matias. Yeah, it's like a twenty-year thing, <laughs> um, at least. That <laughs> Dortmund recently, somehow. When was the first time uh, hashtag set pieces was trending? It was around two thousand fourteen or fifteen or something yeah, like that. It's it's been a while. It's been an ongoing thing, regardless of who's on the bench, regardless of the players, regardless of the keeper. It's a thing. And Marco Rosa, I remember when he was at Gladbach once, you know, kind of jokingly in interviews, oh, we don't even practice set pieces. And I'm like, oh, well, then he'll fit to Dortmund because <laughs> um, Dortmund seem like they don't practice set pieces. And we know Union Berlin that that is one of their huge strengths. I don't know. Now, I think ideally, I think Dortmund practice conceding set pieces because you can't be true. this bad without training. That's true. That's true. You know, the main thing is, Try not to concede the same goal twice. That would already be an improvement over last season. <laughs> um, you know, mark the players that are good at the heading and stuff. And Max Kruse is just that weird wild card. I'm not a fan of Max Kruse. I, I don't genuinely like the guy. Um, I think he's kind of a tool. But he's really good at what he gets paid to do. And he's going to be a pain for Dolan. This is going to be an exceptionally frustrating, difficult uh, time for Dortmund against Union Berlin. I'm going to make sure I don't look at Twitter because Dortmund Twitter is going to lose its ever flipping mind again <laughs> because that's what happens against teams like Union Berlin. Odds are Dortmund's going to have all the possession. Dortmund's going to have a ton of shots. And Union Berlin are going to score a set-piece goal or two. That's just what happens. The key thing is Dortmund cannot squander their chances. They have to be clinical. They have to be more clinical than they were against Besiktas. They have to use their chances. And that is the key. If Dortmund use their chances and try to not concede stupid set-pieces and bad positions, I'm not talking about direct shots. Now, obviously, that can always happen. Uh, Vincenzo Grifo type set-piece goal, those are... Okay, there's not much you can do there. But it's those indirect free kicks that just kill Dortmund. It's the indirect set pieces. Yeah, not give, and if you not can, give away stupid fouls, maybe. Yeah, Put that on the top stupid of the Stupid fouls in your own third. You know, that's just try to be more disciplined. And unfortunately, the players that are very guilty of that are the fullbacks for Dortmund. They're very guilty of giving up set pieces in positions where they don't have to, where the player is not a threat a lot of times they're moving away from the goal. They foul and boom. Now you're in that indirect set piece country that Dortmund suck at defending. I don't care who's in goal. I don't care what if you're doing man marking, zone marking, combo marking. It's really going to be difficulty. And, and with uh, Union Berlin, they are exceptional at that. So that's the game. The gameplay has to be like, just don't concede the shitty set pieces and use your chances because they aren't going to be frequent. But when they are presented... You have to score. You have to, have to, have to. And ideally, Malin comes out with a hat trick. That would be fantastic. Yeah, what's really interesting about the Union Berlin team is obviously that uh, they went through a lot of changes this summer. Uh, you know, while uh, other clubs, there was a lot of stagnation. You know, they lost a lot of players and they signed a lot of players. I mean, on the uh, leaving part, they have Andrich, who obviously we've just seen against Leverkusen. Marius Bülter went to Schalke. That was uh, a player who I think scored a brace uh, uh, on that uh, first time Dortmund traveled uh, to Berlin and lost. Um, Ingwardsen is, is out. Uh, Kade is gone. Griesbeck is gone. Rapp is gone. Christopher Lenz is gone. Uh, Gentner, of course, uh, who 
you know, former Stuttgart player. I don't know. He wasn't too impressive for me at Berlin, but he was a good role player, I think. Uh, Florian Hübner is gone. Akaki Gogia, also a role player, is gone. And then a couple more. Uh, and uh, on the, uh, you know, other list, uh, they, they added Kevin Möwald, for example. They have uh, Rani Kidira, who, who they added. So um, Genki Raguchi is there now. Uh, Tsunadi. Uh, Oshipka, you know, Timo Baumgartel, I think. Uh, I'm not entirely sure though on this one. Um, but, uh, and, and not to forget, Endo, Endo is there. Um, my, my point being is that, uh, and, and I think they, they permanently signed, uh, Taivo Avoni, who, you know, you've talked about set pieces. Let's talk about counterattacks because uh, Avoni is, uh, someone who always pops up free, uh, in front of Dortmund's goal. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of uh, change they have, and uh, it's it's interesting to see the evolution of Union Berlin because to me, the first one and a half seasons was more or less just them uh, really trying to play against relegation. But it's it's changed then, especially since the addition of Cruz and whatnot. Even though he was injured for quite a long time, I think uh, they've evolved to a team that now knows uh, uh, how to deal with the ball. Uh, etc. Uh, you know, maybe maybe a classic transformation, if you will, of of teams that uh, slowly grow into the Bundesliga. Um, uh, but uh, you know, they're not as uncomfortable now if they have the ball. They know how to build from the back a little better. It's not just trying to lump it up the field like in the first season. Something you really just you know, I think you were buffing. <laughs> so um, it's uh, it's a much much better team now. And uh, I'm I'm still also intrigued that they have re- retained defender Marvin Friedrich because I think he's been highly rated. He's at some point even uh, been uh, linked to uh, to Dortmund, and uh, you know uh, it's it's surprising to see what kind of players they have in there. You know, say Robin Knoche is in there, uh, and uh, Genki Haraguchi is is playing for them. Uh, Kedira I think is is playing quite well for them, and uh, Özcanali. So a lot of players that, uh, you know, are proven Bundesliga players in my book. And, uh, you know, especially in the Ötzenali case, obviously a player that might have not, you know, have had the most glorious days in his uh, career so far. But uh, if you can make it work, then uh, this can be a very formidable Bundesliga team and uh, especially the sort of team that uh, really knows how to annoy Dortmund. So um, my hope as I said in the beginning, is that they are really knackered from their first European group stage game and that we'll see that on the pitch on Sunday. But uh, who knows, maybe Dortmund will be a little knackered too after uh, what was a straining uh, round uh, against Besiktas. And uh, I totally failed to mention that uh, in the other fixture, Ajax blew Sporting out 5-1 to one or something like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, just, just wanted to add it in there. But uh, yeah, Matthias, I'm... I want to be optimistic now that Dortmund have uh, won so many games on the bounce and uh, it looks like the Freiburg game is sort of uh, a slip-up, but uh, I don't want to say trap game really because everyone and their dog can see this one coming, but uh, Union Berlin are a team where you really, as you said, think, okay, Dortmund should win this, maybe even comfortably, uh, but somehow you feel like it's going to be very, very tricky especially since Union Berlin has made it a habit of um, vexing Dortmund, you know, also in the cup match before their promotion, 
etc. You know, it's I feel incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> when it comes to this game. Um, it's 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 yeah, it's like you said, a, a match that Dortmund should win um, on paper, but we know how well it was Fischer can game plan specifically against Dortmund and teams like Dortmund. You can't forget this Union Berlin also gave Bayern a run for their money over the last two seasons. So I expect I mean, to be Gladbach not be and make pretty. Gladbach look like absolute fools. Yeah, but I mean, Gladbach right now are kind of fools. I yeah, mean, but not Gladbach, that foolish how they look. No, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like Gladbach and Eintracht Frankfurt are the two teams that I'm kind of keeping an eye on because they're just kind of meh in a, in a, in a way. Union Berlin, yes, they've had a lot of turnover, but the core concepts are all still there. And when you look at the players they brought in, they are players that basically fulfill the roles that Urs Fischer needs but are an upgrade over their predecessors. So they still fulfill that same role. I mean, none of the players you name, you named, you look at and go, ooh, yeah, mm, that's a that's one hell of a player. None of them tick that. But in the right role and in the right system, they can be devastating to a team like Dortmund. That's the key thing. Uh, another team kind of around where they are, I think that's actually more difficult for Union Berlin. Because against uh, Borussia Dortmund, they're going to sit deeper. They're going to mid to low block. And they're going to hit counterattacks and play set pieces. That is what they will do, and that's what they excel at. Dortmund cannot play into their hands. And Dortmund has done that. They did it against Freiburg. Uh, they've obviously done it a few times over the last few seasons. The good thing is versus Freiburg, Freiburg, it was, I mean, a, a thrown-together side, especially defensively. Now the side's a little bit less thrown together defensively. Along with that, they've had now more time to work together as a team in competitive matches with Marco Rosa's system. So I think that does help. But I do believe this to be a very difficult game. I think Dortmund's going to win. Spoilers. Here, here. <laughs> um, but I don't think it'll be pretty, and I don't think it'll be easy. I, I look at it as... Union Berlin are going to score. I have no doubt they're going to score. Dortmund cannot keep a clean sheet right now, and I do not think they're going to do it against Union Berlin. I do believe when, uh, Borussia Dortmund are going to score more. All right, so let's approach the scoreline prediction with this question, Matthias. Uh, first, you'll answer that, and you can then freely give whatever you think will be the actual scoreline. Um, but how many goals do you think Dortmund must score in this game in order to win. The previous answer in the Bundesliga has been two or three. Yeah, I'm going to go with two on this one. And and with that being said, and given that I've said Union Berlin are going to score, doesn't take a rocket scientist, even though Puma shirt designers may not be able to guess <laughs> at this one. Uh, but I'm going to go with a 2-1 victory for Borussia Dortmund. All right. So, so just we're clear, the previous one was Dortmund had to score more than two or three, if I didn't say it correctly. Um, but... Uh yeah, uh, I don't I don't know really what to think because Dortmund have I think had a really good attacking output recently, especially uh, against sides like Leverkusen and such, but uh, also against Besiktas. Well, those were also different games, you know. Um, so I don't really know what to think because I have a very positive feeling about this Dortmund team right now, and especially since it's a home game. Uh, and uh, having uh, like 25,000 people back in there, I, I think really does help. So 
I also, I don't know, like, my head says it's going to be a draw or loss, but my, <laughs> but the other heart of my head, because <laughs> I don't even want to say my heart says, uh, but I don't know, my, my intuition tells me Dortmund will win this, so uh, maybe I'm I'm jinxing it here, but uh, I feel like this is going to be another 3-2 to two win for Dortmund, where it's going to be 2-all at some point, and then Dortmund just edge it in the end, because they are a little bit fitter, um, but that's about it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think Dortmund will need a, at least a 3-4 or four goal lead f- in, in order for me to not be nervous about the scoreline, because especially if there's a late push by Union Berlin, I'm not sure if Dortmund can survive that one either, because, uh, uh, you know, it's just going to be like half-field crosses and whatnot, and uh, Dortmund have not been so uh, <laughs> so good against this kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's another uh, real good indicator for Dortmund whether this Freiburg game was more or less just a slip-up or... Uh, you know, as I more suspect, uh, there are some deeper lying issue with especially the Dortmund defense and uh, Union Berlin being able to uh, uh, take care of it. But on, on the other hand, if Dortmund are clinical, um, they will absolutely win, you know, because Dortmund will have more than three or four chances in this game easily. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Matthias, just, just please uh, tell me everything will be all right and we can uh, all stop this podcast now for now it'll be all right stefan all right it'll be fine okay two to one it'll be fine okay all right okay all right (laughs) then uh let's get out of here uh because i still have to edit this and a little editing i do have to do so matthias please tell our listeners where to find you on the interwebs where they can uh, not interact with you since you're already announced you're not even gonna look Pre and post match, sure. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Matthias Hook, uh, where I occasionally do say something, even though I'm just not that active anymore because I can't be bothered. <laughs> yeah, just so busy, surprise contractors, kids, all kinds of stuff going on there in Colorado. And Twitter is deeply toxic cesspool, so there's that too. <laughs> yeah, but I'm also there, so uh, there's that. Um, anyway, you can follow me at Stefan School. You can follow all of us at Yellow Warpot on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to subscribe to this podcast in uh, all the ways possible, go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Google Podcasts, etc. If you want to contribute financially, go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And uh, yeah, that leaves me with nothing else to say. Then uh, as always, thank you for listening and goodbye.